Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. Once understanding who the girls were and and getting chatting to them and hearing about, you know, previous experiences they had and them understanding myself and the way that I learn, it was very easy to build that bond and Shelly in particular knows exactly, I guess, what to say to me and, and what I need to hear in order to sort of guide and coach me as we're playing. And yeah, I haven't seen someone that quick in a good, uh, good while. In an episode you'll want to tune in for, we're talking to newly minted Aussie glider Sarah Houston. Wearing the green and gold for the first time at the Asia Oceania Zone Championships, taking place in Thailand right now. I had a chance to talk with Sarah as she was preparing for the trip. We talked about her introduction of the sport, a chance encounter with a highly decorated Paralympian and former STB pod guest that seemed predestined. Sarah is a great ambassador for women's wheelchair. She's also a talented singer with a recent stint on Australian Idol. But right now, she's focused on making the most of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to represent the illustrious gliders in their rebuild on the road to Paris. We also talk about the financial challenges for athletes in Paris sports and the opportunity for smart businesses to get on board and boost the national team rimming with potential. Make sure to catch a game of wheelchair basketball. Having watched Sarah and others at the elite level, I was blown away by their daring and athleticism. Good luck to our gliders squad this year. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Unfortunately, my co-host Jacinta Gavin can't join us for this podcast, but we are being joined by Sarah Houston from Western Australia, one of our wheelchair athletes and a member of the gliders. Sarah, welcome to the show. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's our pleasure. And you've had a lot going on this year. You've got a lot coming up. But before we get into all of that, I'd really like to find out how you got into playing basketball. Yeah, it's it's definitely been a year, that's for sure. Um, so my, my journey started uh, with a very well-known athlete approaching me at a cafe uh, nearly maybe three years ago. Um, and she was actually on the podcast as well. Her name is Amber Merritt. You'd be surprised if, if you didn't know her. Um, <laughs> yes, we do. She noticed a limp and um, no hesitation. She came over and asked me what was what was the go, how come I was limping, um, asked me all about myself and uh, basically had me by the hand going, you have to come to training, you have to try it out. So... Um, that was it, and she's one of my closest friends now. And uh, yeah, she was my introduction to, uh, to to wheelchair basketball, and I've not looked back. I love it. That's fantastic. And I got to ask you this question because I, I know how I reacted the very first time I saw, you know, top flight wheelchair basketball. How did you react the first time you saw the game being played? Uh <laughs> I remember my first training session so vividly and um, I think my coach 
Brad Ness, who um, is an absolute legend, he he didn't really understand the fact that I had absolutely no idea how to play basketball. So I looked at the wheelchairs and thought, okay, that's going to be fun. No worry about that. They obviously a lot different to a hospital wheelchair, but that part didn't uh, sort of you know, give me any sort of fright. However, I had absolutely no idea about the technical terms. I didn't know what he meant by a pick and roll. And so when it all came to, you know, trying to organise a team of very well-established athletes and then myself, it was um, it was utter chaos. So sitting back and watching the team play against each other and sort of seeing how high pace it was, I knew that it was going to be a lot of work uh, that needed to be done. But... Yeah, it's so epic and fast-paced and once you're actually in it and understand it a little bit better, it's a whirlwind. It's so much fun. i got to admit, I'm really surprised that you, like, had no idea about the game before fronting up to practice. I know. I actually, I was a netballer back in the day, so I was a very active young girl. Um, I grew up in the country in, um, in Kalgoorlie. I was born up north, actually, in Port Hedland, but... I went to a, a small primary school and netball was the massive thing there. So I remember having my first ever basketball training session um, and that was actually right before my diagnosis. So basketball sort of pushed its way to the back again. And I think maybe six years later, I there was a Paralympics tryout day in Kalgoorlie and I went down and I wanted to be a swimmer. I absolutely loved that idea. And um I remember one of the gents actually put me in a chair and made me do the the beep test and I would have been all of 11 or 12. Um, And it was great fun. I was super fast. I loved it, but never went anywhere with it. So uh, coming back to a sport, they haven't figured out netball yet. It's a bit of a great area. Um, But yeah, coming, coming full circle and actually being back in a sport where I can push my body beyond the limits and capabilities that I thought I could. It's yeah, so fun. Awesome. And you're part of the gliders now. I am. It's su- it's such an amazing story. It's like, you know, I've come here, never done this before, and here I am representing my country. Honestly, it's, it's huge. Um, I remember my first nationals with the Wheelcats, we won gold. We won gold. We were undefeated. Uh, we still had Miss Amber Merritt and uh, Miss Georgia Inglis on our team, uh, just recently retired. But uh, I think there were about six tournaments sort of throughout a couple months, and by the end of it, it became more about can Huey, a.k.a. myself, can Huey actually just get a basket? Because <laughs> I think I played all of eight minutes the whole season. I think I got one basket, and at that point, I had the entire crowd. I had all the referees, coaches on both sides, everyone going bananas. Um, there was no next job. It was just me absolutely stoked, and I got a gold medal out of it, so I'm, I'm claiming that one big time considering I still had no idea what I was doing. But, yeah, the support from the team and uh, having so many incredible established athletes in WA, it's definitely helped sort of amp the process up and, and sort of speed line my progression. Yeah, because, I mean, it, it's when you look at it from the outside, it's like, you know, it, it's such a huge journey in such a short space of time. How do you feel about, you know, the, the Gliders campaign at this point? It's um, It's been nerve-wracking, I won't lie. Uh, once I found out the news about the girls, um, and again, like I mentioned, they're two of my best friends. They've been incredible teachers and um, mentors for me since I started. So finding out the news that we had two 
very epic athletes recently retire and knowing that our team was quite a developmental team and you know knowing that that would impact sort of where we are and where we stand but I think that the camp at AIS the selection camp that really put not just my mind but a lot of other athletes minds at ease you know having someone uh, come back who who's an already established glider, Shelley, and knowing that there's so many prolific players among the team like Georgia Munro-Cook and Hannah Dodd and these girls that have so much game knowledge already, which was something that I definitely didn't have and, and I'm still learning every session. So I guess the comfort of knowing that there are players that know exactly what they're showing up to, what we need to do to get the job done. And um, I think the support from the entire team and the motivation to get everyone up to the same level is even higher than it has been. So we've all got the same goal in mind and the drive has just sort of been full steam ahead since then. So it's it's honestly epic. I'm so excited to see where we take it. And you, you mentioned a couple of things there. First of all, AIS camp. What's it like? I mean, you know, the first time you walk into AIS as an athlete, what's that feel like? I genuinely felt like a bit of a fraud the first time I walked in. <laughs> um, considering I started, you know, I started playing this sport at, what am I, 28765? I reckon 25 I started, or 24 even. And I think, like I said, the the drive was there immediately. I had something, I, I came out of a very negative time in my life and, you know, COVID had just happened and I'd lost my business. And um, I think I was just hunting for something that sort of brought me back to myself and, and having that hunger and that drive in me again. And I remember the first time rolling into, through the tunnels, rolling into the big stadium and seeing the courts and, and firstly thinking, I shouldn't be here. <laughs> But also looking around me and realising that it was a very special opportunity that I'd been given and I could either just, you know, hang back and enjoy the ride or really give my all while I was there. And um, I got invited back a few other times and, I've yeah, I've just been hooked ever since and um, it's a very special place to get to go to and come together with the entire nation of, um, of the squad and all the other coaches and staff as well. So it's just it's just knowledge from everywhere around Australia coming to one spot and us all just putting our brains together. And you mentioned that you've got Shelley Matheson returning, right? So it, she's, she's medaled three times, Athens, Beijing and London, and... You know, she's she's bringing that experience back, and you mentioned you know you've lost a couple of veterans. How does that work in terms of you know merging the team, melding the team together, and you know everybody getting on the same page? It's always um, it's always interesting knowing that there's new people coming in. I guess for me, it's someone that's new. Uh, the thing about this community is that you kind of know about everyone before you meet them, and uh, everyone has something amazing to say about you know, gliders past and present. And even during nationals, getting to meet a lot of previous gliders. Um, and I don't say X because once a glider, always a glider. So seeing these girls and these vets come to nationals and play with the same passion and the same intensity, knowing that we were going to be joined by uh, Shelley and also Bridie Keane, having them come together as two fellow teammates, also absolute weapons, their mums as well, and just juggling that, like, balance between looking after bubs and then coming back onto the court and there's no downtime. It's straight into the intensity that the coaches require from us and that the team require from each other. So um, I was nervous, but 
once understanding who the girls were and, and getting chatting to them and hearing about, you know, previous experiences they had and them understanding myself and the way that I learn, it was very easy to build that bond. And Shelley in particular knows exactly, I guess, what to say to me and, and what I need to hear in order to sort of guide and coach me as we're playing. And yeah, I haven't seen someone that quick in a good uh, good while. So she's um, she's held herself together very well, and I'm I'm very very excited to play on court with her. That's cool. I, I want to step away from basketball for a minute because one of the things that you did this year was you were on on TV on a little show that some people may know. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I suppose the first thing I want to understand is. How did that happen? How did it come around? That was so rogue, hey? <laughs> so rogue. <laughs> so um, I, I, like you said, I was on a, a little show. The little show has actually been off TV for, I think, 13 years. And a lot of people that know me know that, one, I don't shut up. Two, I am usually always singing, even when I don't know it. And music is a very, very large part of who I am. So everyone knows that I'm a singer. And that is a very big passion of mine and it's something that I, you know, continue to work on and, and would like to see come to fruition eventually. However, I got dobbed in by my stepmom this time around. <laughs> so I'd actually just had, I had no idea Australian Idol, and that's the TV show, so I had no idea Australian Idol was coming uh, to Perth and doing the rounds around Australia to do auditions. And I had been working at the time uh, at a bank and was finding it extremely tough uh, with the capacity between training and wanting to put my all into training and then also needing a full-time job or needing an income. And uh, I had a surgery that has been pushed back and pushed back because of COVID and not being, uh, I guess, as important or uh, yeah, a higher level of importance than some of the other people that needed surgeries during COVID. So uh, being in the public system with that specialist, they can just let you know whenever. And I was told very, very randomly that I had a surgery booked. It was in a week and it was my surgery 32. And I went in and it was just a day case. So I, I came home and I noticed my stepmom had been calling me frequently for like about four hours and couldn't understand what on earth had happened or what was going on. So I think it was about eight o'clock at night and I called her back and was like, is everything okay? What what happened? And she said, no, I happened to run into the judges and the producers of Australian Idol at the airport today. And I laughed and she said, what are you up to tonight? They're doing a little snippet on TV down in Fremantle and I reminded her that I just had surgery uh, and then we, we both laughed uh, and I said, you're crazy. And she said, well, tomorrow there is an audition waiting for you. They've opened up a spot for you to be able to go in at the end of the day and do an audition. And I felt like vomiting. <laughs> I felt like throttling her at the same time, but I also was just in a mindset of like, you know what, why not? Why not? Give it a whirl. So she, yeah, she promptly got off the phone to me before saying, okay, as soon as I get off the phone to you, a producer's going to call you and they're going to get your details, pick a song, and then you're in tomorrow. And, yeah, that was it really. So it was, yeah, straight into Optus Stadium, sat around for a little bit, had a good chat with uh, Ricky Lee who 
her and I go very, very way back, I suppose, when I was in hospital and she was going through Aussie Idol and sort of rekindled that moment. Uh, meanwhile, I've got my mum, my partner, my dad, my stepmom. Uh, my partner's wearing high vis. It's just all a massive throw together. <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair. It's just, it's such a, such a sight. And yeah, we, we had a good chat and I think I did about six nervous wees before I went out. And um, that was it. I rolled out and ended up standing up out of the chair because it was obviously just a bit of fatigue and soreness from the surgery. And yep. when I stood up, I thought everyone was going to pass out. It was like, shake your walk. <laughs> um, but yeah, I got up and sang and they let me through, which was odd, and it just kind of kept going from there. That must have been... I mean, look, looking at it from the outside, you know, that must have been the craziest 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I told my, um, and this was just after Nationals, and I told my employer Nationals was very late notice. So I had been out and then I'd been back and then I'd been out for another few days and I'd been back and I said, you've got me for like 10 months. I'm not traveling anymore because everything's been pushed back. You don't have to worry. And then all of a sudden the surgery was booked. So I had the surgery and the day after I had to call her to let her know that I'd just been invited to join the top 50 Australian Idol, which was so nerve wracking and so confusing for her at the same time. <laughs> um, and yeah, I got the gold ticket and I remember going out and meeting the producers after and everyone's chatting and it's exciting. And I sort of stopped and was like, can someone tell me what's happening right now? Because like, do, am I leaving Perth? What happened? Very confused. And yeah, it was it was definitely just like a a punt and just, just went for it and, and went with the flow and what a journey. It's it certainly sounds like it was, you know, crazy and eventful and exciting. But then you also got an unexpected accompaniment. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Um so the judges were Kyle Sanderlands, Amy Shark, uh, Harry Connick Jr., and Megan Trainer. Yep. And I knew who Harry Connick Jr. was, but I am not a frequent listener, but I, I know who he was and I know he's a very important man. <laughs> um, and so after being blown away that I was standing up out of the wheelchair and also frightened that I might fall over, <laughs> um, I, I let them know what song I was singing, which was Waiting on the World to Change by John Mayer. And if I had it my way and it wasn't like 12 hours later from when I found out, yeah. um, I would have hoped for a bit of a compliment on the guitar. And that's sort of the, the style of music I like singing, acoustic. And I mentioned that to them. I think I said some Danish things as well. Very, very, the Australian really came out of me on that show. I think I said Holy Dooly at one point as well. It was, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I told them that and I don't think Harry could get out of his chair quicker and he just sort of walked out to the piano and asked me what key I sang in and I laughed and said, I have no idea. <laughs> and that was it. It turned into a bit of a sort of jazzy, funky rendition. It caught me off guard a little bit, but it was really cool. It was really cool. And um, watching it back when they brought out the, um, the episode, it was... Yeah, it was pretty special. It's a pretty special moment to um, to have with someone so high up in the music industry. So that is so cool. <laughs> it really is. It is just so cool. Now, 
Let's just move away from all the fun stuff for a minute because you've touched on something that we've talked about a number of times on the podcast. And you were saying that, you know, you'd found a job that was, you know, able to accommodate the needs for the athletics, for playing basketball, and then, you know, the, the show came up. But the thing is, obviously, it, it must be hard to be able to to structure a job around an elite athletics career, right, particularly one where, you, you know, let's be honest, there's a need for for athletes to be able to live, right? So you need a job because the, the, the funding isn't there so that you can just be, you know, an athlete. Tell me about how complex it is to be in that situation because I know I know Amber's mentioned it when we had her on the podcast, but I'd like to understand a bit more from your perspective about the situation. It's it's probably one of the toughest components, I'd say. And it's definitely something, you know, as soon as I started, I could see that there was room for improvement. My relationship with like a professional career has always been a tricky one uh, since having my disability and uh, my capacity sort of has only sort of worsened through the years. So I find that one, I've gone through so many, many jobs and I found when I was younger, um, I wasn't as transparent about my disability because I just wanted to make it work and I found it easier to do that. And unfortunately, a lot of employers weren't as understanding of uh, physical disability and what it entailed and you know I was a lot younger so it was very hard to sort of speak my mind with uh, confidence and hope that someone would understand and uh, in turn it resulted in pushing the limits and needing time off and you know doing jobs that definitely weren't right for me Um, you know I think I was a car detailer at one point and that was just a bit of a just a bit of a rogue one like that was never going to work out but then yeah trying to sort of weave your way through the workforce and find something that aligns with you as a person specifically and you know there are some athletes that don't have the capacity to work full-time or part-time and you know they might have funding uh, from government and you know a lot of us have funding in the sense of NDIS however that doesn't pay for your rent it doesn't pay for specifically as a person with a disability I'm on the highest HBF that I can be on and that costs me an awful amount a lot of it I don't use but I need it there as the safety net because of my disability and what could potentially happen so there's so many outgoings you know there's your car there's your phone there's the cost of living is ridiculous as well and so Coming into this sport was one of the most exciting things and it is genuinely like the drive at the moment and I am obsessed with it. But what I have noticed in my my time as an athlete is that we do burn the candle at both ends, so to speak, because we can't just focus on the sport itself uh, and developing to be the best athlete that we can. And, you know... The career span for a wheelchair basketballer, for instance, can be a lot longer. And I think what I've noticed is that a lot of my fellow teammates and people that I've seen sort of be around for a long time and then 
retire or, um, or or take a break have done that so that they can progress in their personal life or, you know, to start actively saving to find themselves a home or to be able to afford rent or to maybe look at having a family. And I think one thing that I would just absolutely love to see happen is, you know, we do, we do, we're very lucky to have funding through the sport. And uh, if your, your training capacity improves enough and you're offered a scholarship that's amazing and you know there's things that we can sort of branch out and afford through our disability funding however it's the time off to go be an athlete and represent your country and it's you know the two hours in the morning where you're at training and you're giving it your all and then you've got to go to work for eight hours and then you go on repeat so in my mind I see you know top 20 athletes in Australia in a sport being given a wage and they wouldn't have annual leave because they wouldn't be taking annual leave, which doesn't exist if you're a full-time worker and a full-time athlete because you're travelling for your sport. There's no need to have the mental drainage of needing to go to work and, and focus on something like that that can be extremely mentally strenuous or physically strenuous because you can literally just focus on your job as an athlete. And I think our team in particular could become even greater and even, you know, even higher ranking if there was something along those lines, you know, and there is an athlete payment. It has a lot to do with the tier of athlete you are and also where we place in the world. But unfortunately that can't be relied upon um, because our outgoings just far outweigh what it is that I guess we're we're bringing in. So it's really tough and uh, it definitely sort of reigns on my mind a lot about, you know, how long can I do this sustainably and how long can I get support from the people around me as, again, nearly a 30-year-old. So we've definitely got ideas of what we want to do to try and change things up, but I think the the end goal would result in our Australian team probably being the most dominant they can be again because the focus would just be about sport. So... This is obviously an, an issue that we, we need to look at as, as a nation um, because if we can't allow athletes like yourself to be able to focus on, you know, practice and being an athlete, there's always going to be a compromise in terms of the outcomes. And here's where there's an obvious issue with the, the funding model, and that is it's like, okay, the better you place, the more funding you get. But if you haven't got the funding to be able to allow you to focus on being an athlete, then that becomes so much harder. Now, look, there's no easy answers to this, but these are things that get discussed. Right? Uh, certainly you would be discussing it amongst your teammates, amongst people in the, the community. What are the ideas? I Look, I've actually brought this up like two days ago <laughs> training with one of my coaches. Um, and we basically said reach out to some people and, you know, go send an email to Gina Reinhardt or reach out to Twiggy um, Forrest or, you know, who, who is it that we can speak to? And there's definitely been moments where you kind of want to curl up and go, how am I meant to do this? Um, do I start a GoFundMe? Like this is, it, it is really tough. And I think there's a lot of focus on having that life and sport balance and that's fantastic. And, um, it is very important. Of course it's important, but I think in order to do, like you said, to do the sport well enough and to develop 
to be a team or is no longer a development team but is an established team that play very well together you know, there, there needs to be more backing. I think if I was paid a minimum wage and minimum wage, there's athletes out there that are absolutely incredible and they're getting paid an astounding amount of money and they bloody deserve it. But a minimum wage to focus for the time that you are an athlete and, you know, there's got to be standards. There's got to be requirements. You can't just willy-nilly get given it. You need to meet every expectation um, as we do with our scholarships as well. They're not just given. You need to upkeep every part of that. But with the sport, there already comes opportunities. So there's opportunities to go out and speak to people about it and to speak about uh, people with disabilities in sport and to speak about the Paralympics and all these different components that would only draw more attention to our sport in general and other sports in general. So for us to be able to do those, we then need to take time off work to be able to go and share what it is that we love about it. And I can tell you right now that I'd love to go and be a part of that instead and to, you know, to grow not only, I guess, my platform as a speaker and as someone with lived experience and it might be with childhood illness, it might be with mental health, it might be the fact that all these different things have compounded and come together in sport and how that's been super beneficial for me. But in order to do that, you either offer up your time and do it for the love of doing it, which a lot of us do. But if that was, you know, solely a job or a contract or something like that, I just see the progression of this sport in particular and a lot of other para sports as well plummeting. You know, we, we want to draw more attention to this and we want to um, we want to grow the nation and the developing players. And I think that can only happen with a lot more people doing the work. I suppose. I often wonder. And I mean, look, this is just kind of like a blue sky kind of thing. Why is it that industry doesn't necessarily pay attention to wheelchair sports or disabled sports? When you say industry? Well, when I say industry, I mean business. I mean a company that would would ordinarily go and sponsor, sponsor. Yeah. you know, an able-bodied sport isn't necessarily looking to sponsor a disabled sport. I... I had a chat with a lady at a women in sport event recently and I'm kicking myself because I've forgotten her name, but she works for Basketball Australia and she basically spoke about that. She said, what is it that you need? And I mentioned the same thing, but also something that I've mentioned constantly. And this is what I find really special about the disabled community in general is we've all had something to do with very big organizations in one way or another. It might be uh, Spina Bifida Foundation, it might be Kids Cancer Support Group, Telethon. Um, within all of these things, especially in WA, I've had the opportunity to work alongside West Coast Eagles, Fremantle Dockers, BHP Billiton, and the list absolutely goes on. So I'm only one person and, you know, the hunger that I have to be able to reach out to these massive industries and these, you know, these big head honchos and one, showcase what we do and two, ask for a bit of help. You know, I working at the bank that time ago, I knew that they were sponsoring a Paralympian and that's fantastic. There is a section in a lot of big industries where they sort of have that funding. However, again, it comes to the groundwork and I think that the drive and the capacity that we could have as athletes to be able to go and do these things as our own sort of unit could only advance 
if there was that sort of, I, I don't know, maybe contractual side of things where we're going out, we're doing the work. And, um, you know, I'm stoked to be able to do that as a volunteer side of things. And we're getting there slowly, you know, um, in the, even in the last like five years, uh, the changes that I'm seeing around accessibility and inclusion uh, or diversity and culture and race and sex and everything like that, we're starting to talk more and it's fabulous. But I think that, like speaking to this lovely lady, I think that there needs to be a brainstorm uh, from people that have played past and previous and the things that we've noticed happen already, but what is it that we actually want? And I guess how could we potentially achieve it? Um, but it comes from the groundwork and athletes putting in the hard yards and, again, us showcasing what it is that we're doing. And I think the the fact that there's things like this, like podcast, and there's far more media exposure now um, and showing people just how raw and brutal the sports can be and what it is that we put into this, it's definitely growing. I think it's growing at a turtle pace at the moment and I think that uh, there's definitely more that's going and uh, going to and can be done. It's just, uh, I guess, speaking to the right people and coming down to the athlete level and finding out, I guess, what the the hardship parts are and what we're doing well at, but what we could be doing better at and um, maybe going from there. One of the things you, you just mentioned there a couple of times is showcasing the sport. Yeah. Well, one of the things that strikes me is that we don't see enough wheelchair basketball you know I'm not, and i'm not just talking about on streaming platforms or whatever but i'm just talking about actually being able to get to a game there's not a lot that that's played um and yet you know and i'm looking at the like is part of the notes that our producer mary put out there's the um the high performance calendar for wheelchair basketball and i'm looking at it and there's like not a lot happening in australia there's Bangkok in Thailand and, and Osaka, Japan and Beijing, China, but there's not a lot happening in Australia. That's exactly right. So um, the women in sport event we did, we've been, we've been working with a lot of the staff and the coaches at uh, BWA, Basketball WA, and uh, the one thing that we keep speaking about is, especially in WA, we have an incredible amount of facilities where we can – showcase these games you know the home of the wildcats is just one which is bend out stadium and we have had at home tournaments where we've sort of versed uh different perth teams and that sort of thing but there's a big chat about having a nationals come to wa and just i guess hyping it up in our yep. own nation is something that i think could be really important but friendlies tournaments like you mentioned we've got a friendlies tournament in Japan straight after our AOZ tournament. be nice to actually do that before the uh, qualifying tournament so we get a bit of practice in. Um, but there's, you know, even with national competitions and it comes from people knowing people and word of mouth, but going to different national tournaments and uh, having people recognise you for being an actual athlete, it's, it's special. And then I guess seeing it in a bigger sense and seeing, you know, the Commonwealth three-on-three tournament, the first time we've ever done three-on-three and, um, you know, our men won gold, our girls won silver. And I remember watching the first game and trying to figure out how we could air it. And the particular channel that was streaming all of their Commonwealth games 
had none of ours on there. So we rallied as a group and messaged everyone we knew and we sent bunches of messages through socials just to get them to put it up on on their viewing platform. But it's definitely, you, like you said, it's almost like a, it's like a forethought. And I think the one thing that I'd like to see more of is the prior planning so that we can really start to talk about it and really start to advertise what's coming up and create much more of a, a hype around what it is that we're doing. It's not that people don't want to come and see it and they don't enjoy it. It's just that you don't know about anything. And I think with that, you get a bigger turnout, you get more supporters, you get bigger industries watching the game and wanting to be a part of it. And that's growth. And that's sort of how we're going to grow. But, you know, in the meantime, it's a lot of travel and and traveling out of the country and going to those places where, you know, it is a little bit bigger already for them. But I would really like to see not just WA, but Australia as an entirety, you know, get back to that that podium finishing spot where, you know, we were dominating and there's absolutely no reason why we can't get back to that. Um, but that's why I also think now is a very special time with so many, you know, media platforms and so many people like yourselves taking initiative to really find out more about what it is that we're doing. Because from the outside, it looks bloody epic, but there is a lot that goes into it and there's a lot of special people involved. So I guess it's just talking about it, advertising, sharing that, and again, working at ground level to not just relying on staff, but working with athletes that have that lived experience and potential contacts to bring people together and muster up things, um, not just for them and for the organisations, but for ourselves as athletes, because if they're advancing, we are as well, I suppose. And you mentioned you got the qualifiers before the Osaka Cup in in Japan. Um, I'm guessing most people don't realise that that's next week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes sir <laughs> no. i'm uh actually i'm sitting on my bed right now surrounded by my suitcase and uh everything that is important that must go in the bag so it's definitely um it's go time where we're all starting to get a bit nervy and excited but you know we've got a bunch of group chats going on with staff and uh, managers that are you know kicking us up the backside and making sure that we're onto it but also team chats as well where we're all just venting to each other finding out what on earth we need to remember what snacks are a good idea to bring which nintendo switch games people are bringing (laughs) we've got it down pat and um it's yeah, I'm very excited. I've never been to Thailand, so I'm keen to um I'm keen to check out what the, all the fuss is about. And then Japan, which will just be insane. My my coach Craig, he I couldn't take a holiday afterwards, obviously, but he's promised me that I'll get traditional ramen. So I'm sort of counting on that. The, well, I can I can tell you from uh, a family holiday to Japan that all the food, ramen, whatever, it is all spectacular. So you've got the the three by three championship and the qualifiers for Paris coming up in Bangkok. We do. Um, you know that's that that's huge. And then literally, like three weeks later, you're in Osaka for the Osaka Cup. How do you prep yourself for a schedule like that? Particularly, you know, given how important the AOZ qualifiers are. If you don't laugh, you cry. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I saw the calendar and was like, yeah, right, okay. Um, I've got to get selected first, so we'll see how that goes. Oops, I got selected. So, um, 
again, I think it's very special that I am from the West Coast of Australia because we do have a few athletes that are coming over from here, both men and women. So we're kind of riding the high and the low together. Our DTE waste where we train, it's it's been a, a real shift in pace and it's not just been with, you know, a few of us, it's everyone. So the coaches are onto it, the medical staff are onto it, you know, physios, nutritionists, the support level has always been amazing, but like now more than ever, everyone just wants to see you do and be your absolute best. So from ground level and as athletes, just huddling together and figuring it out as to, you know, what to be organized with, what not to forget, even just feedback after trainings and what we need to work on with each other. It's a different aspect from what we get from coaches and then what we get from our strength and conditioning coaches as well. So it's definitely been a team effort. Um, and there are very many aspects to it and, you know, I's that have to be dotted and T's that have to be crossed and paperwork and things like that. But at the end of the day, it comes down to the very few games that we have when we are over in, in AOZs. And, you know, we are lucky that if we don't make it round uh, through the round this time that we do have a, all right, let's try again later in April. <laughs> Um, also back in Japan. So that's more ramen to me. (laughs) But yeah, it'll be cool. And, um, you know, it's, it's quite a long time that we're away. So I can only imagine that there's going to be a lot of team training in between that. So I find it very valuable when we all do come together and train together because that's, that's time as a squad, um, broken down all over Australia. So it's going to be extremely valuable just to, spend that quality time together as the squad and, and get every chance we can on court to um to learn each other and work together. It's got to be hard, like looking at that schedule, it's got to be hard for you in terms of just being able to juggle, you know, day-to-day life <laughs> and a schedule like that. Because, I mean, just looking at the dates, it's it's almost like what country am I in if it's Tuesday? Yeah, literally. <laughs> Literally, um, look, I think the the terrifying part into the lead up was just trying to manage Christmas and not eating too much ham, but we've, (laughs) we've made it through just, um, and yeah, now I guess looking at it and seeing the color code and, and, um, it's, it's, I would have used different colors personally to make it more appealing, but it's, um, it's it's very exciting and, you know, there is a lot of uncertainty and there's definitely stresses there about the financial side of things and how on God's earth I'm meant to, you know, pay my way through all of it. But uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And, you know, I'm very, very lucky that I have support around me and it doesn't happen to everyone. And it's very much an opportunity of a lifetime. And it's something that I actually didn't think I'd ever be capable of doing. So I told my coach, you've got me Wherever you you pick me for, I'm there. I'm with you. I want to live that experience. So um, I checked probably way too late, but my passport is in date. We're good. That's good. That's <laughs> um, always a big one. Always a big one. So yeah, just um, just getting myself sorted and leaning on my teammates to find out the absolute necessities of what to take away with me, so that I am very much prepared for when I'm over there. Now. One of the questions I want to ask you is, because again, I'm just looking at this schedule. So literally from Monday the 8th till the 11th, it's mm-hmm. the 3X3 championships. Yes. And then from the 11th to the 21st, it's the qualifiers. Mm-hmm. How do you find that transition 
from 3x3 to the regular game? So I'm actually really interested to see how that goes personally. <laughs> you and I both. <laughs> so I I personally, I won't be on the three-on-three team. However, I imagine we'll be doing a lot of the training with them anywho. Um, yep. So I guess in one sense that gives me a bit more time to really work on what it is that I need to work on to be ready for the five-on-five qualifiers. I also am very excited because it gives me that extra time to, I guess, just people watch and see other players in motion. And I think another thing that I was speaking about with my one of my WA coaches, Brad Ness, was about sort of uh, regulating and desensitizing to the environment. So um, I am very ADHD. I am very excitable. Um, I get very distracted. It's a known <laughs> thing. But being able to sort of get comfy in that environment and that training environment and sort of get into a routine, luckily there's not really much of a time difference. So the sleep side of things should be fine. But yeah, it, it's exciting, uh, I guess, one, to just get straight into it, but to also have that time with the team to continue training together this time so that yep. we have every chance that we can um, to really perform from the 11th until the 21st. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm really excited for the opportunities and the potential for the gliders in this run up to Paris. Um, I suppose one of the things that I'm really curious about is how do you get the team or how does the team, you know, generally work together in relation to focusing on those goals and, and like, what do you guys tell each other when you're trying, you know, you're focusing on, yeah, we've got to take this first step and the second step, but there's the goal at the end. It's, it's the Paralympics. It's Paris. That's what we're, we're aiming for. It's been a pretty special couple of years uh, for me in particular, as um, you know, I'm not sure sort of how things ran prior to me being there. And I know that we've had some epic Paralympics in the past but like I said, you know, we have been a developing team for some time and there's been a lot of, I guess, far more uh, experienced athletes working with far more development athletes. And I think we're now at a time where we're more balanced and Craig Campbell, our, our Australian coach, his focus has been a lot around team mentality and having that intention and what is it that we're actually all working for. And, you know, over my... So I'm 28, I'd say the last 20 years I've had a lot to do with different organisations and charities like uh, Canteen and Camp Quality and I've definitely stepped into a leadership role there where I've, you know, been able to support, you know, whether it's other patients or, or teammates around me in that aspect and we've kind of adapted a lot of, I guess, what I was used to in those senses into our team uh, camps um, and the way that we're sort of driving the bus and, yeah, it's it's become more about why am I here? You know, what is it that I want to achieve? And not just that, but learning everyone else's story and everyone else's why as well, because, you know, initially you just turn up and there was a bunch of girls there, you know, we've all got a different disability and a different story to tell and uh, funny quirks about each and every one of us. And, you know, we can all get along really well, but when it, broken down into understanding exactly why that person wants to get out there and get on that field it just I guess feels a different part of your your motivation meter and it's been broken down in a way that we can really learn each other but also what steps we need to take in order to become the best teammates for each other as well because 
you know, it's not a one-man game and we've seen it all over the place where, you know, you really rely on on one person to make it happen and for us to be the best, we need everyone to be the best. So uh, it's been really special to watch all these girls develop in just the amount of time that I've been a part of the team. And, you know, really we don't have that long until Paris. I know. <laughs> oh, boy. Right? But the good thing is there's a couple of opportunities for people to come and see the team. There's the Kevin Coombs Cup in Brisbane in April and there's an international series that's either going to be in Victoria or Queensland in July. What would you say to people who are listening in and who who haven't been to, to see the gliders or even a wheelchair basketball, what would you say to them? It's like dodging cars on steroids. Come and watch. <laughs> it's um, it's absolute chaos. My first uh, tournament, I don't know if it was two or three years ago now, but it was my first ever gliders camp that was a week long and it led into the Queensland Classics. And as much as uh, the small amount of family that were over there and got to come and watch me make an absolute fool of myself because I had no idea what I was doing, um, they thought it was the most incredible thing. But then getting to actually sit back and watch some of the established players play and just see the effort and, you know, the no fear mentality that comes into it, keeping in mind that it's basketball rules. It's, you know, when I tell people that they're like, so the, the ring's lowered, right? And, you know, there's no travel rules and it's like, uh, uh-uh, uh, mate, uh-uh, no, no, no. Like it's, it's chaos trying to get a ball that high in the air. All my shirts barely fit me now because my shoulders are huge. Um, weird flex, but it's 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 hard. It's really bloody hard. And, you know, you're seeing high pointers that, you know, go flying or like you said with Amber, tilt up on wheels. You're seeing low pointers that are doing somersaults and landing on their faces and then just popping back up again and, and going for it. It's so wild to watch live and it's, you know, not just something that we, well, I play, but it's something that we as a household, we watch often as well. And um, it's honestly a perler of a time. Uh, and there's a few good laughs as well. It gets pretty rowdy. So um, <laughs> I definitely, I definitely say come and come and watch if you get an opportunity and come say, hey, you know, ask questions. One thing that I love about this community is that no one's scared to answer any questions and it might be about our, you know, our health and our journey. It might be about the sport. It might be about open leagues where able-bod and people with disability can come down and play together, which is so much fun, um, especially with workplaces and things like that. There's so many opportunities where um, people that don't use wheelchairs can come down and do the same thing. And it's just as chaotic and even funnier in those situations. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's worth it. It's really worth checking it out. And, you know, I hope that's the first of many. Kevin Cream's Cup's very special. And um, seeing the juniors play, we're very lucky to have uh, one of our WA girls who only just turned 14. Um, wow. I'm her biggest fan, hey. <laughs> her name's Ebony Stevenson. And she, she'll be at KCC, I imagine. But, you know, someone at that age, I think also because she has no fear in her yet and that's maybe why she doesn't mind falling out all the time. I know how I'm going to bruise, you know. I take a little bit of care. <laughs> um, but seeing these players get on the field and just do absolutely chaotic things that one, you didn't even think was possible anyway, but uh, two, coming from people at such a young age, it's is beautiful and it's really exciting as, a, I guess, senior player now that um, – you can see the development stages and you can see the excitement that everyone has to see where this sport's going. It's honestly so cool. 
Now, just before we wrap up, there's something I noticed today on LinkedIn. You are a brand ambassador, I believe. A brand ambassador. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Now. Where does that help LinkedIn? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, now, I've got to give you an opportunity to give a shout out to them. Is this Grip X? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, honestly, it's just so bizarre. It all kind of happened very quickly. I'm huge on trying different things. If it's going to make me better, oh, yep. <laughs> then why not? So, actually, I remember my first training session, I started getting enormous blisters on my hands and I thought, why is no one wearing gloves? And I got laughed at by pretty much everyone, uh, boys and girls. And I said, so when do your hands callous? And they said, maybe four years, maybe, you know. I was like, oh, good, let's look forward to. So um, a part of, you know, your machinery is your tyres and yep. just like basketballers that run around, they've got shoes, they, um, they can be slippy, the floors can be weird conditions. I've heard that, you know, in other countries the, the floors can be a little slipperier or a little stickier and that sort of thing. And there's been a product design that uh, basically – maybe like a film as such and creates a bit more of a grip for the underneath of your shoe. And uh, one of my coaches offered me a bottle to try out before training and a bunch of other teammates and um, I gave it a go and it was actually really cool. Um, it was really cool to actually see a difference and they ended up giving me another bottle of a formula that they just started for wheels in particular, sorry, and not only does it smell delicious – uh, PSA, you can't drink it or eat it, or, you know, but it smells like bubble gum. It's delicious. But I'm also very excited because putting on a new set of wheels, as much as it looks awesome, it makes them pretty hardcore to wrap your hands around and grip. So just seeing sort of the difference of what that might look like when I am playing, you know, even in Thailand, somewhere where it's far more humid and just seeing if that does anything. So it's a first. It's a first for me. I'm very excited about it. I feel very honoured. And, yeah, I'm hoping it's just the beginning. So Awesome. Uh, and the, obviously the other thing that we need to say to anybody in industry and commerce out there, sponsoring the gliders is a great opportunity because it gives you an opportunity to get involved at the ground level with an international team. 100%. A hundred percent. And we're only advancing and we're only going further and we're going to do that regardless. So, you know, whether we go at turtle pace and we, we make big changes ourselves or, you know, whether there there are industries out there that want to jump on board and I guess jet start the process and um and get us, you know, back on podium level where we can all actively put in 110%, you know, rather than 100%. And I guess the development will just happen quicker. It's it's pretty special and um, there is a lot of room for advancing and there is so much more coming up that I can see and entail. So I just um, I just hope that I get to be a part of it for a lot longer and, and that it can become something a little bit more sustainable for me personally. But for now, we're winging it, we're having fun and um, just honestly taking every opportunity we can because it's – yeah, it's a it's a once in a lifetime, and uh, the fact that I'm sort of back here and I get to be an athlete that's just real random. That's so cool to me, and um, it's very weird to say out loud. So, yeah, I definitely say to anyone that's you know thought about thought about looking into it or having a chat about it, speak up, message us on Instagram, have a chat with our coaches, you know, reach out to us. We're 
more than willing to have a yarn about it and um, share, I guess, our experiences and what it is and where it is that we want to go. Sarah, i got to say, it's been so much fun having you on the podcast, having an opportunity to talk to you about all this different stuff. And also got to say, best of luck for the AOZ Championships. And it's got to be streamed somewhere and we'll definitely make a point of watching. Honestly, if it comes down to me FaceTiming the whole thing, I'll set up a phone. <laughs> no, it'll be out there. Um, I reckon check out the uh, the International uh, Wheelchair Association, their socials. But, thank yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity and you guys are bloody legends. And um, I was you. very excited to meet you all and I'm very excited to see you all again soon. So keep an eye out for me doing some weird and wonderful things on court. I guarantee it will happen. <laughs> um, but, yeah, fingers crossed, hey? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Sarah. No worries at all. Thank you so much, Paul. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get our latest pod. And we really appreciate if we could get a like and a review so we can extend the reach to more listeners. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn.